there is so much out there to get mad about. Social injustices, class warfare, continued colonization, the act of destruction of our planet by those focused on profits and not people. We can find it overwhelming at times. The good news is there are equally as many, if not more, stories of people coming together and rising up against the forces at play. So the creators of Blueprints of Disruption have added a new weekly segment, Ravel Rants, where we will unpack the stories that have us most riled up, share calls to action, and most importantly, celebrate resistance. For the past five days, Torontonians have been forced to endure the sounds of roaring jets flying overhead as part of the CNE's annual air show. This has been something that has been a part of the CNE for decades and has been a source of controversy within Toronto for about as long. For five days from Thursday, August 31st, I think it was, until Labor Day, military jets roar overhead, scaring animals and bringing back painful memories of wars for people who are living with PTSD and who are coming from war zones. That's a big part of the reason that it is unpopular in Toronto. Toronto has a very large refugee population and a population of people who have endured war. And for a very long time now, they have been asking the CNE to stop doing its annual air show. This is not something that is mildly loud. It's not something that can be ignored. It's something that shakes your apartment. I live in Parkdale right beside the CNE grounds and it literally shakes. I first heard about the complaints against this air show back in 2016 and every single year since hear the same complaints and nothing has changed there's no budge there's no movement and it's completely disrespectful to people who have experienced the trauma that comes from living through war many of those wars which canada had direct involvement in canadian planes have bombed multiple countries whether it's in the middle east or in africa Our planes have directly been involved in that. And those same planes are the ones that you hear roaring overhead. This is an issue that feels particularly disrespectful right now, given the kind of moment that we're living through. When we had refugees on the streets because there's not enough housing for them, when we're in multiple affordability crises, whether it's housing, food. This is what our government chooses to spend its money on. And they spend a lot of it. I hear you on the frustration and like the disrespect. There's no denying that, right? We know. I don't even feel easy about seeing it. And I've not experienced war, right? Those, it's unnerving because I understand what they do. But we're living through a pandemic where folks won't even put on a mask to save their community. And and so I guess I'm not surprised that there hasn't been a lot of traction around ending the air show 
because of what it's doing for maybe a small few. But I don't even know how few it is. Everyone I've talked to in the last few days that lives in the city has been completely put out, either from a general nuisance perspective or along the lines of what you're talking about, Santiago, knowing those are war machines flying overhead, knowing what it's doing to people. Folks are upset about their dogs. Actually, for me, like, so I just, this past week, I... Uh, I, I got a new kitten and I happened to have been helping some friends move on Thursday. I didn't know the air show was supposed to start yet. And it was the first time leaving him alone and the window was open. There was a screen, but the window was open, you know, get air circulating and he likes the sounds and the air show started. And I was so worried about him being alone there like he's not used to the space yet i thought he would be terrified and it was just i was already like we had been talking over a week ago about the upcoming air show and i was already angry about it i just got so much angrier at it and just seeing you know the planes fly overhead is i mean it 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 doesn't make sense over a major city of the population of Toronto, something which I can tell you that most Torontonians are not out here like experiencing the air. It's people who are going to the CNE and they see the air show, I guess. But like, it's a, I think it's negatively affecting a lot more people than pe- people who are enjoying it. And this kind of thing is usually done like air shows are usually done out in like the countryside, you know, like not over a major metropolis. It it does seem particularly dangerous, but I guess like that's really not what irks us the most is the fear that one of those planes might fall, which would be horrendous. But the reason why folks get a thrill out of it, right? So some people are terrified by noises and some people are just absolutely enamored by them. It gives them a rush. You know, folks park near the airport to feel it kind of coming overhead. So like, but that's got to be a small portion portion of the population. The real reason events like this continue over and over again is to propagate nationalism and tie it to imagery of war. We're going to get all into that soon when Remembrance Day comes around where the maple leaf is forever shown next to images of war. And so they've literally taken fighter jets and dolled them up and made little heroes out of the pilots who fly them, the snowbirds. And this year, the blue hornets are coming up from the United States. You talked about Canadian planes. They're inviting American F-18 fighter jets up here as well. Fun note, those are manufactured in Canada. But like these are the planes that are flying over Syria, over Afghanistan, that these refugees would have seen up close before destruction hit for years. I try. We have tens of thousands of refugees and more people living in the city who have experienced war that we can't imagine as Canadians for the most part at all. But we also have a lot of people who have PTSD, like you mentioned. We have a lot of people who are neurotypical with sensory processing 
difficulties, especially with large air shows. Like there's got to be a multitude of people that would benefit from this not happening. But there is just this persistent need to spend untold millions on war, justifying war, painting it as necessity, embroidering it into this Canadian fabric. Like what housing would do for folks like these snowbirds back in 2012, we paid $775 million just to replace the planes they're using to wow people. And like these folks train all, we pay them to train all year to do the air show season, right? So it's not just Toronto. This is like a, a phenomenon that travels. And the fuel costs, the staffing costs, just, they don't spend that on entertainment. That's not why they're doing it because pe some people find it fun. There's no way. That CNE is on for three weeks. That show is on for five days. That's not even what the draw for the CNE is. It's 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 a reminder of of war that we're capable of war. That it's a Canadian thing to do. And it's not the only reminder, either, at the CNE. I went I went the other day, and you know one of the big draws at the CNE is the food, right? You always. Whenever there's a fest, uh, carnival, or a, you look forward to all the wacky food combinations. I had some... Just not the cronut. I had some dill pickle cotton candy, by the way. Exceptional. I loved it. It was incredible. Um, but so... But that's I, I not what got you mad. <laughs> no, no, no. The reason I bring that up is because, you know, I go to the food pavilion, big building full of like all these different food vendors. And families. You buy the food... It's packed inside. Okay. Can I go get some, sit on some benches outside? Right outside of the food pavilion, there was a huge military setup area where they had armored vehicles, turrets, all kinds of weaponry. They had like an airplane and, and it wasn't set up for adults. It was very clearly set up as like a kind of experience for children. And the soldiers were there encouraging kids to pose with the guns, pretend they were firing the guns, climb into an armored uh, car into like little circle turret area and like pretend to be shooting it. They were like giving them like uh, guns. Stickers, and, I imagine. Yeah. Fake and talking tattoos. with them. And, and it was a big setup. And they had the cadets and there was things I've about like before. signing up for the cadets, you know, like it's and, and they were spending a good time, a good amount of time talking to them. And it was really gross <laughs> to witness. But obviously not to all parents, like some were set, really excited sending their kids in there. I'm sure you could have seen folks taking pictures, right? Oh, Look yeah. at my boy. Those will go on Facebook and those that's it is, heavy artillery, some of that. like It is such a, like there's such a disconnect there. I really felt like people did not understand what that represented. And it just brings it back to like how nationalism is such a socially acceptable form of indoctrination for children. 
it is something that is in our schools every day, national anthem, every Remembrance Day. And it's it goes mostly unquestioned, right? A lot of Canadians would roll their eyes at us listening to us right now. That they do see value in war and are very proud of Canada's military history. This is swallowed whole. And the imagery that you're you're talking about, like children on tanks and, and turrets and, and being encouraged to engage in warfare. I, I read an article about the snowbirds and they're talking about the value it has. Right. It was from like a aviation magazine, but it, it, it admitted there that it was to inspire children to fly fighter jets. It was a recruitment tactic of sorts. So it's not just there to convince the hearts and minds of the populace. It's a recruitment tactic for our armed forces, encourage people to become murderers. So I, it's time for a, a personal story that, uh, because this reminds me, I, I don't even know why I wasn't thinking about this, but um. I don't know how much I've spoken about this on the show, but um, my dad, um, he, as a child, um, lived in, in Lebanon during uh, the Civil War. And this is reminding me of a story from that. Because, so he was originally born in Colombia. He moved back to Lebanon and then, like, the war broke out, you know. And... um. Anyway, I remember he he told me a story of one time when some, a British tank rolled into his neighborhood when he was out playing soccer with his friends. And, you know, the British soldiers were like, hey, do you want to come into the tank? And like they were like playing around in, inside of the tank. And and they used to. They used to do stuff like they would take tape recorders and they would leave it outside at night during times when there would be fighting and they would like record the sounds of war and all of these things that like children do right and he took and he mentioned about how all of this got to the point where he was like what hoping to grow up soon so that he could go and and join the army and fight and I mean there's there's no right side in these conflict like it, 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 this Lebanon is so confusing and complicated politically but what I do know because my family comes from Maronite Christians is that their the army that he wanted to fight for would have been the phalangists who were inspired by uh, Franco fascists in Spain they, there was a lot of very fascist themes here and just all of this exposure to all of these things made my dad want to grow up and, and fight in the war and that was that was what convinced my grandmother to take them out of the country you know Fun, funny story about her. She she studied sociology in university in Colombia, and 
never graduated because they shut down her program uh, before she got a chance to finish because too many of the students were dropping out to join the guerrilla. Because I guess that's what happens when you study. It's like stuff. York University, it's a breeding ground for Marxists. <laughs> exactly. But so she, she couldn't stand to see that happen with my dad. So they yeah, left the country. That, it's that glorification of war. Kids don't understand. Completely removed from the realities, right? You're at the CNE, you're eating cotton candy, and you're getting stickers. And so this is a good thing. This is a positive thing. Same with the air show. People are celebrating it. They're clapping. Some folks are paying $80 a ticket to go see it. This is something you're telling your children to celebrate, not just be indifferent to or you know support in silence when it happens, but to actually get excited and thrilled by it. And then, of course, when we do go to war, we're inundated with 24-7 imagery of said wars. And I don't think that's having the effect it should have because for so long we've been taught that that is actually a positive development sometimes. Going to war, right? It's, it's removed from those gross realities of death, destruction, and, and trauma. And indoctrinating children it's so obviously harmful right to to a good community member to glorify that kind of thing yet these we we see people coming at children in a completely different way so we'll talk about protecting children and it's okay to expose them to this to your fuck trudeau bumper sticker But the idea of them changing their pronouns or embracing a gender identity that suits them, that is something worth protecting, right? That's something that parents are actually mobilizing around trying to shield their children from. When I say parents, I mean a very small few of the right wing, but it's so absurd to me that they don't see harm in these clear activities. That There is such a chasm of ideology here where we're looking at what it means to protect children in completely different ways. Right? This is me obviously transitioning a bit to our sec- second topic, which I'm going to introduce to folks, but I'm sure our audience has heard. It really started in New Brunswick, then Saskatchewan, and now the education minister in Ontario is essentially promising the same thing, and that is legislation that forces schools to out their out children. Let me explain a little bit clearer. Should a child want to introduce a new name? No, sorry. Should a student want to introduce a new name or pronouns at school, right? They have found a safe space there. And the authorities, the provincial governments, are putting the onus on schools to then inform the parents of that change. Now, I would hope that in a lot of families, that wouldn't be an issue. That would be like calling and telling me that, 
My son wore blue shoes to school. I know. I, I was there. Or if it called to tell me he was upset this morning or tired, I would know. Right? I would like to think that I would know. Because some households are safe environments for parents to hear these things, to have positive, gender-affirming environments. But we know that that is not the reality in very, very many homes. And how do we know this? Because trans youth have enormously high rates of not just homelessness, but of suicide. And most of this boils down to not having a positive environment at home. It not being a safe space at home to be who they are. And the idea that now schools will call parents without knowing those situations and reveal this as though it was an absence from school. You know, your child wasn't at school today. What, your child asked to be used they pronouns what kind of way would this be to even broach the situation? In all the years we have been learning about how to be good allies, how to treat the LGBT community, all the knowledge that we have around that has told us you don't out people, that that is the most personal thing to happen. It has to happen on their time, at their comfort level, with the people that they are closest to and feel comfortable with. That it is nothing but trauma if someone else outs you, outs your gender identity, outs your sexual orientation, whatever it is. We know that. We know that harm that is done. I feel like we're taking steps backwards. I know we are. You were talking about feeling that too, that we had gotten to a point where your experience in high school was a lot different than my experience in high school in terms of seeing how safe environments were created. There were none when I was in school. There's no way. I, I saw how folks who were even suspected of being queer were treated. Yeah, no, I mean... Things weren't perfect, but when I was, I I didn't graduate high school too too long ago. I uh, I was in <laughs> 2016 in high school, so uh, that's when I graduated. And I I went to high school in the York region, and the York Catholic District School Board specifically, same school board where not long ago uh, there was headlines from parents protesting at that very school board in fact that very school board is across the street from my high school when i was in high school some friends of mine uh, helped start um what we called the identity squad at the time where it sounds like a superhero club <laughs> yeah no i mean it was it was a great environment where like every monday people who of whatever identity of whatever experience just had a safe space to come in socialize with other people talk about their experiences and 
you know, one of the things actually that people would talk about a lot is like the trauma involving your home, like how parents react to things. And, and, um, you know, there was the rainbow flag flying in the room. It was in the drama club. Uh, it was in the drama room. Sorry. And, um, I think that was the safe space for a lot of students in school. Oh yeah. The drama room and the music room. And it felt like progress at the time. It felt like, you know, this was like a Catholic school and we had a space where it was safe. And I felt like overall the culture felt pretty safe. I feel like we've gone a long way backwards since then. What's really sad is that the students inside these schools are likely the same. I know you're just a few years removed. So those environments are attempting to be the same. We know that those clubs still exist, right? They have to fight for them quite often, but they do exist. And we have come far in terms of teaching our children better. These attacks are largely from the outside, right? From older generations. They're protests outside of the school or at the board meetings where it's accessible to the public. I can't speak to the environment inside the school, but I know that if more and more schools are seeing that students are only coming out at school, it means they are relatively safer environments than they were when I was. They still are. And it's like they don't want them to be. The people who are doing this, not the educators that are going to need to fulfill these, which you do not, I mean, that is the next step with this legislation passed. And, and as it has passed, these teachers unions need to take a stand and absolutely refuse to take part in that. They can't control principals, their ma management for the most part. But you know what I'm saying? Like there has to be resistance to this even past the legislation and before it. But the people that are passing it, they do want harm. They do want harm on these people. There's no other explanation because the facts are all before them. We know what happens in many, many families. And they are they are seeing this safe environment being created and they don't want it. We act all horrified at DeSantos in Florida and the don't say gay law. But we're really not that far from it when we start talking like this. It also goes to show you that, like, all of the warnings that the queer community has been shouting about, about the slippery slope that we're on, about, like, no, they, they don't want just to control one thing. They're looking to eliminate us completely. Yeah, it's not about the drag shows and reading to children. Now it's actually about trans youth. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that, like, this this whole concept, too, of, like, oh, the parent deserves to know, like, what the fuck? Uh, I, I mean, I just, I, I I remember when I was in high school hearing pretty much every single one of my friends had horror stories from home, you know, of various ways that their parents were abusive. I don't know where this idea is that parents are good at being parents, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a parent, so um, <laughs> I'm trying my best, man. Not, not no, universal. but I know what you're talking about. That idea of child autonomy is a little bit new to folks. Like that was not anything my parents fully and, you supported. Know, 
we're, we were talking about like how like nationalism is like an acceptable thing. Authoritarianism is a very culturally acceptable thing when it comes to how we approach youth. I remember like, for example, I had a, my, my principal was great. He respected everyone. Everyone loved him because he treated everyone like human beings. But we had a vice principal who was very much that like authoritarian figure who like demanded everybody like act a certain way, you know, like, you know, the kind. And obviously nobody respected him and nobody liked him. And, you know, in Catholic schools, like I remember we had, you know, we, we had the uniforms, you know, and kids would find like various ways to rebel against it, like tucking your pants in your sock. And then they would freak out about that. What did but you do? Like, <laughs> did they let you wear the bandana uh, i actually wasn't wearing bandanas back then i wore a sombrero uh every now and then i i definitely just stopped showing up in the uniform altogether at one point um but uh i, I was me um i i took it to like but the point being like they would you know police like oh you have to have completely black shoes any color on your shoes and that's a problem you know, you have to ha- like there were there was various ways where it's like, oh, you can't you have to wear the school hoodie. You can't wear any other kind of sport. All of these things. It's part of like the authoritarian culture of like that. that that's so pervasive in, in, in like the way like you have you would see that there was always two kinds of educators. There were the ones that saw people as human beings and there were ones that didn't. The same goes for parents. Like there are clearly parents in this game who see their children as property. Like Absolutely. That complete ownership. And I get it. As a parent, there are times where you do have to speak for your child. They don't understand something like at super young ages, medical decisions, schooling decisions. You know, you try to take their input. And it's mostly around safety. Right. You know, they want to run away from you. (laughs) They can't like you do have to use a certain level of authority over them. But there are things that are just so deeply personal and that need to be completely autonomous, like what they wear, what they eat, how they express themselves, how they move their bodies, how they play, how they choose their friends. There's so much of that that just really isn't up to parents at all that really doesn't even need your guidance all that much other than the life lessons you already provide them. But there's parents making the argument that they have some sort of right to know the inner feelings of their child, that they only felt safe telling a friend at school or one of these good educators, one of these many good educators, right? Like as though they had, if you haven't earned that right as a parent, like if you didn't earn that conversation, if you didn't create a space where your child came to you to tell you to think that you owe, are owed that information, for me is horrific and a huge red flag. That means you don't understand boundaries at all. And where do those boundaries end in the house? At all? Like the washroom? Like at all? Like where are their boundaries? They know none. Because if it's not your most intimate gender identity or how you, your sexual orientation, who you love, what you're attracted to, if you have to share that with your parents, then there is nothing sacred. There is nothing that kids get to then keep to themselves. They are 
they are mere extensions. And honestly, like, this is a, a much bigger issue of just, like, the fact that when it comes to, like, honestly, the ages that you are in high school, you know, I, I'd say, like, just the teenage years, like, 13 to 18, it's a time that a lot of people are not safe. It's a time that a lot of people are have no choice but to exist in deeply unsafe and harmful and abusive environments in them and suffer traumas that they carry with them for the rest of their lives. I know because I've seen that so much. And I've seen how many people I know chose to be homeless rather than continue to exist in their environment. And they didn't have good options. And there were those of us that were lucky and had people who could support us. And there were those who weren't. We're not doing, you know, like when you, you want to protect kids, like we need to really have a conversation about the fact that like one of the most dis destructive things in our culture is this idea of how we raise children is of this idea of that 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 parents alone is enough to raise kids you know like i subscribe very much the idea of it takes a village but in this world where we're so isolated from each other where people don't have friends you know my parents didn't have friends almost at all you know and it ends up being like 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 i, I don't care how good people are like two people one person three whatever the combination of people but like the, the very small amount of people are never going to have all the answers enough and need more support. And we live in a society where there is no support, where people are left alone to deal with these things. And we're, we're just creating so much unnecessary trauma where we're not actually out here. Like, you know, what's going to harm your kid is not them being trans. What's going to harm your kid is the trauma that they're enduring because you're having dealt with your issues and are now dumping it onto like onto them and like i, I i'm a little emotional because like I, I am trying to avoid also speaking too too much about my experience but like it's also my experience and the experience of everyone i grew up with like everyone i grew up with and it, it's still fresh for me it's not that long ago but there was such a lack of autonomy such a lack of options so many like and, and, you know, sorry, I, but it is like, that's the real danger. There is real harm being done. And it's not what, it's not your kid being trans, or your kid being gay. It's not the harm. The worst part is these politicians aren't doing it because they actually think they're protecting children. You know that. Right. These are fucking dog whistles to the worst of the worst right now. This is a call out. This is the same way they worked up a whole frenzy around vaccinations and masks. This is the moral panic of the day. And even though weeks ago, now that we did our episode on community defense and we were talking about the higher rates of hate crimes against LGBTQ community members, they don't care. 
This is political capital for them. They're going to use it, and they are fanning the flames even hotter. And that's what's most maddening to me about this, is they're making political gambles with the lives of youth. Absolutely having all the statistics in front of them to know what the outcomes would be. And I read a tweet that was really hard, and I first kind of internally dismissed it because I don't think you think people want to be that cruel. But on some level, there are people who support these types of legislation that want children outed because they want harm to come to them. And I, I also think they want to set a certain example here. Like, there, there's something to be said about, you know, like... Nonconformity. Not that nonconformity. Absolutely. You know, because when somebody... If somebody comes out as trans at that age, you know, they're saying, like, I'm showing you who I am. Like, I'm expressing an authentic version of myself. Imagine the courage. When everything... Like I said, you know, back to school uniforms and all these things and the way that we're supposed to behave. Everything in high school is about the opposite. It's about conformity and about suppressing individual identity and expression. Says the you know? guy who came in a sombrero, though. But that's why I did that, you know, I like and, 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 and it's why I like refused to wear the uniform so much because and it's why I was suspended multiple times and like. The kids they're, that they're, didn't conform had a club of their own. Let's let's and, be clear. Right. And, and I wore like my necklaces and my bracelets like and, and I wore one white sock and one black sock because fuck you. Like that. But that's where that come from. Is this like, the cover art for today? <laughs> But like, it was that suppression of identity, and I, I do think that's a large part of where this comes from. Is that there's they they don't want trans kids to then also have an impact on the non-trans kids, and like sh showing them like it's okay to express yourself authentically and to have free thought, right? Yeah. To buck trends. In an environment, although we support public education, but these are environments that are meant to bring you in and, and churn you out in a very specific manner, right? To be a good nationalistic worker within a very specific frame. So you need to be able to be willing to go through this machinery for 12 years, right? And if you're surrounded by people who are kind of thwarting those efforts of conformity, Hopefully that shit is contagious. We know it is, right? And so, yeah, they need to put a lid on it and also just gain political capital. And and, and there's so many layers to this too, you know. One thing I'll mention too is like I mentioned I went to a Catholic school. Almost nobody I knew said that they were Catholic out of the students at that Catholic school. <laughs> <laughs> you know why do you all go to the catholic school anyway well because parents episode. because parents you know so and if i did an episode on abolishing the catholic school system would you participate in it absolutely oh, absolutely okay. because it, that's publicly funded like the catholic school is not a private school it's it's a publicly funded institution and then you know there, there's also so many other layers like streaming is something that like 
It's huge, you know. Yes. I, like, here's an example. I, I was... First I thought you were talking about Twitch, right? And I was like, what? I was a quote-unquote gifted kid. You know, when I was in elementary school, they wanted to send me to one of the pay schools. Like, they... A.K.A. NeuroSpicy. Yeah. No, <laughs> exactly. Like, those are all those kids. But I was, like, known as, like, you know, like, nerd. I was into science. I was, like, you know, like, I was known as smart. But because of my ADHD, they wanted to stream me into the applied stream. They. No way. Well, I'm sorry for expressing shock. That is my privilege showing, obviously. But I thought that was strictly based on grades. Or kids that like didn't show up to school. Like I know a lot of kids that just struggled. I did. Like I didn't graduate high school. I don't know if I've mentioned that before, but I never went. I was just off doing drugs and I was a mess. And I know a lot of kids like that got sent to Bendel Collegiate and and the other schools in Scarborough that were teaching trades, right? Is that what you mean by the applied? No, so we had two streams, applied and academic. One of them was like college stream. The other is like university is really what. Oh, so I'm talking about like we had trade school high schools and I don't know if they still do where you didn't need to take a lot of the core subjects, but instead you took a lot of more hands-on things that would apply to a they, job They market. do that later on. They do that later on. I got you. But, um, and, and, you know, f- worth bringing up the fact that it was recently, like, it, not that long ago, revealed that the, the racist tendencies as to who gets streamed, which ways, which is why they're, I, I think they're trying to end it for grade nine. But, you know, like, my parents resisted. And the one thing that I did get put into applied was for English because I was a horrible speller. And when I wanted to, then it it turns out to go to university, you need to have academic slash later on university English. What happens if you want to switch? Well, then you had to go back and retake a grade nine academic class instead. Right. But they don't tell you that when you're in elementary school. So when you're in grade eight, they're making decisions that are affecting your ability to go to university or not. And there's the air showing in the background. Oh, it is 12 o'clock. Good timing, planes. Um, That one's pretty far away right now. But um, my point being is that, like, there's these arbitrary ways that they're deciding for you really because they don't really explain it to you things that are going to affect whether or not you can go to university or not you know and i I don't think everyone has to go to university you know i'm I'm in college for journalism oh i saw the the shadow in the alleyway see that made my heart beat and we're just all the pigeons are flying. Just on a video call, essentially. The shadow, the shadow, like, okay, so the two buildings. That sounded so literally close. Th- it literally was right overhead for that to have happened. That's messed up. Oh, my God. I think, like, why we get into all of these issues, a lot of these issues with education policies is the same reason we have issues with the agricultural policies and all of that is because there's people in charge making decisions and they have no idea what they're doing. They're not experts. Like Stephen Lecce never even went to public school and he's the minister of education in Ontario and he is not part of the LGBTQ community as far as I know, yet he is making decisions that are going to impact their lives. So it's, nor has he studied the impacts. They've been presented to them. I don't know. They don't believe the science when they're presented to them quite often, clearly. But 
they just make these decisions based on the winds of change. Like, they make these decisions based on polls and trends in politics. And they have such incredible impacts for such long times. You know, they're still trying to get rid of the streaming and whatnot. And who knows how long it will take to push back against the legislation that's trying to be forced onto school boards now. And there's really no account. Oh, that's okay. It's not mine. And there's really no accountability built into our system, right? We have a democracy where there's, in at least in Ontario and most of Canada, there is no ability to do anything about politicians that are doing active harm. Even in the case of Ontario, where you've got a housing minister and an integrity commissioner who says, you need to reprimand him. He violated all of these ethics rules. You get an auditor general that lays out an entire collusion with developers and selling off the greenbelt. The, the whole province knows that the housing minister is corrupt. And he calls a press conference and everyone's like, he's going to resign. Well, he leaks ahead of time. Don't worry, I'm not going to resign. But he gets up on the podium and he stands there and he says, I take full accountability for the mismanagement of the Greenbelt, for selling it off to developers. And that's it. That that was him taking accountability, that, that, that press conference, just standing there, taking a few questions from reporters. And voters have no choice other than pure revolt, like what we call for, like complete disruption. Otherwise, you just have to like grit your back teeth and wait to vote harder in the next election. That is apparently a democracy worth preserving for most people. And that's maddening. They can do anything. I don't know how many... Th incidents there's been of Doug Ford where you've got the OFL and the NDP and, and a bunch of other organizations spending money calling for his resignation, knowing that that's not going to happen. And even if it did, it wouldn't do shit. And they've done it again. The Ontario NDP actually opened a website. They paid to open a website called like Resign Steve Clark. And the OFL at the same time dropped a whole stick on that on holding them accountable and you can yell from the rooftop as much as you want but the reality is there are no mechanisms in our system that allow any recourse no matter how bad it is unless it's criminal and i mean we're pretty close here at the it RCMP. should be criminal it might be you might get your wish like i know we don't police responses are also not really going to do much but it i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't not smile if i saw doug ford in handcuffs um I know people are like, but you wanted to defund the police. And like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> this, I can still find joy in, in something like that happening, but that's still to be tested. But this is a democracy. Like people, people will do anything for this democracy too, right? Like all this in the name of protecting this precious democracy we have. And, and you can tweet about it. You can even organize a, a blockade but he just still doesn't have to go. You know what the Greeks would have done? <laughs> you couldn't do this. If you made decisions that benefited you or your family or your friends and not the populace, you were done. 
you were just done. Let's just say what, that. What's the thing where like they they would they would vote every year? They would everyone would vote for one person to like ban them from town for like a decade or something. <laughs> okay, they were not perfect. I mean, that game <laughs> no, might but, be but, fun. So essentially, you 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 would have to keep like a lowish pro, like a lower profile because like if if you was it ostracized or what what, what was the? Well, <sighs> yeah, you were. You were banished from the populace for many reasons, like probably not all of them just. But the idea of being in office, it was definitely driven home that you were it was a service you were doing and it was supposed to be in the best interest of the most amount of people, which, again, has its flaws, because as the polls show, we don't actually want people voting on whether or not students can change their pronouns because you don't want to see the results of that one. That's the tyranny of the majority. And, and, and we all understand why we don't let the majority always decide what the rights of minority minorities will be uh, for obvious reasons. Right. People <laughs> like, uh, but this is, this must be so frustrating for the people of Ontario as well to just see like the absolute worst. And he, the idea of taking accountability is simply holding a press conference. And even then, did you see Doug Ford's press conference? So this this man thinks he's absolutely invincible after all of this. This has got to be one of the dirtiest political scandals in Ontario's history. Like this is worse than the gas plants uh, from the liberals. And they didn't survive this. And he's just standing up there. I've been absolved. He attacks Colin DeMello. Colin DeMille is a reporter for, I think, CTV, and he asks a pretty pointed question. And, and David Moskrop mentioned this, and he's right. Ontario Press are actually doing a pretty good job of being that fifth estate, right, of really holding the politicians' feet to the fire. They're asking hard questions. And what does Premier Ford do in response? He doesn't feel any heat at all. This man just turns the tables on the reporter kind of doxes him, says he lives down the street, shames him for being a homeowner. You own a home. What would you know, says the man living in a mansion that was handed down by his family. <laughs> and he he feels nothing, right? He, he sweats a little bit. Some of these press conferences, he's looked a little bit more nervous than we've seen him before. But in reality, he's cush. He can fall back on his millions. He doesn't even need this job, but he's not leaving. So, like, I guess I just wanted to add this item in here at the end was just another poo-poo on our democracy. <laughs> another, you know, because you see quotes even by Olivia Chow when she was running for mayor. On, she wouldn't use her mayor superpowers because they were part of our sacred democracy. And that's just such a load of trash. And it, it plays into that same pet peeve of mine with social Democrats they're socialists that feel the need to remind people that socialism is democratic. Otherwise, you're just like market capitalists trying to put Band-Aids on. But that need for that denomer, because socialism is actually very democratic. My plants are literally flailing <laughs> from the plane. Ever since it's, the plane it, started, I've lost you. I've lost you to the, the loud, swoopy things. I don't Sorry, it's just <laughs> my plant was horizontal. Really? Oh, it's outside. Yeah, it's like uh, a, I have I a pothos I thought it was a house hanging. plant, and I was like, that's No, I have up. a pothos hanging outside. 
and I could see it was horizontal when the plane was passing overhead. It's creating like. Sorry, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and there, that's you're just like fifteen minutes in. This is this goes on till three o'clock. So these are like the big days: the Saturday, Sunday, Monday. They'll be like full blown. They're fast and furious now. How did I end on that before I started chastising you for the jets? <laughs> I think I just like have had it with democracy. Yeah, I mean, it's like it comes back to just like when it comes to values, it's like what's more important? Like, is the goal not to help people? You know? No, like not anymore. I mean, I imagine some people do get into politics to help people like we know people who have gotten into politics to help people. Fuck, I did. <laughs> um, so I know that that still happens. But unfortunately, the people who rise to power in these systems are not motivated by that. Absolutely not. And the whole idea that they can just say that they will do better next time after they've held office for many, many years and held had many, many trainings and what the ethics rules are, it's just a more affirmation that we aren't living in any kind of democracy worth preserving in Canada. And perhaps I think if more people realize how many flaws there are in that system that they still fully participate in and hold a lot of hope in, maybe it's that fear that of dismantling it that's holding them back. And... Surely there's just been so many examples of how our our democracy isn't even worth salvaging. It needs to be completely rebuilt with a different under with a different understanding of what freedom is. That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.